I think a lot of you will find kind of surprising. By one count, every month, nearly one out of every seven of people indulges in some form of internet porn. It's actually a national hobby by those numbers. And with numbers like that in mind, some people who are committed to fighting porn are taking a controversial step by confronting it directly in church. So the problem with porn and any other sin, it's stopping us from doing what God wants us to do. It's Porn Sunday at Willow Creek Christian Church in Chicago. Finally, Craig Gross and Mike Foster are bringing their message directly into the house of God. Sex is not a spectator sport. You know, sex, when God created sex, the plan was not to broadcast this out to millions of people for their enjoyment. People have bought the lie that, you know what, this is what I need to, to be into. What happens if somebody were to go to their pastor and say... I've got this addiction, I can't stop looking at these images on the internet. Well, most of the times it doesn't happen. They don't even go to their pastor because it's not a safe place. But if they do, they, they, they still um, have those feelings of, you know, well, are people going to look at me different? Am I going to get kicked out of the church? You could be a sports counselor. Why do you think God told you to talk about porn? We're young guys. We know what's going on out there. Uh, you know, we're wired up just like any other guy is wired up. We know the, the lure of pornography. We've seen the devastation that happens uh, in people's lives, and especially young people's lives with the Internet. Internet porn is no longer America's dirty little secret. Nielsen Rating Service says nearly 40 million of us look at it every month. It's anonymous, available, and accessible to just about anyone. What's wrong with people just looking at pictures? A lot of times it progresses, and it, and, and it, it leads to other things, whether that be an extramarital affair, whether that be headed to strip clubs, or just this kind of world of fantasy. And uh, an Internet woman never says no. Craig and Mike have come up with a blunt way to deal with the problem. Their website address is triplexchurch.com. The name designed to snare porn addicts surfing the net and show them how they can break their obsession. They created the Pornmobile, a rolling advertisement that's hard to ignore. The best is when uh, we pull up next to a guy and he shakes his Bible at us. Why do you have to be so in people's faces? We have to be. We're, we're as loud as outrageous as they are. I mean, they're finding, they're using technology, we're using technology. We're willing to do just about anything to, to get this message out there to people. It's time that the church takes the lead on this issue and goes... 75 church congregations talking about porn, an unconventional success for two very unconventional pastors. Jesus was a controversial figure. I mean, he stirred it up with, with the people. He stirred it up with the society. Well, good morning, Overlake. It's wonderful to see you this morning. And uh, if you want to grab your notes out of your bulletin, you'll see that the title of the message today is Porn and Jesus. And that is, uh, that's a pairing of words that many of us have never imagined before. Uh, I know many folks have grown up in church, they never imagined those two in the same sort of topical sentence. And uh, we just want you to understand that what we're going to go after is, we're going after a, a, the idea of being a church that is committed to shattering stereotypes. Uh, we're committed to being a church for real people who deal with real issues in this real and fallen world, going after life with a real and risen Savior in Jesus Christ. And that's what we are all about. That's what we're going after in this entire series called Hot Topics. Uh, today's message is rated M. 
And I know Pastor Jesse mentioned that earlier. It just means that we determine that the contents of this message are for a mature audience. And that means if you're here as a parent, you have your kids with you, this might be a great weekend to check out that world-class children's ministry right down the hall. Uh, if, you, if you say, oh, no, you know, my second grader just colors, they don't listen. <laughs> They'll listen today. Uh, <laughs> If you say, oh, you know, I have a toddler and they don't pay attention. No, they might not, but they might learn a new word. So you just, it's up to you. You're welcome to have your kids here, but I'm just saying this would be a great opportunity to uh, take them down. We really do have a great children's ministry. The idea is simply this. We want to be a church that really does wrestle with the real issues that are uh, uh, presenting themselves to us today in our culture and the world that we live in. We, uh, my wife Jody and I were at a leadership retreat last week. We talked to a pastor there who told a story of a conversation that he was having with an 18-year-old boy. This boy was a family friend, and so the pastor was talking to this boy about some issues that the, the young man was struggling with. And the student said, or, or the pastor rather, said to the student, how come you never looked for help at the church? And the 18-year-old and the answer was this. The church is the only place in my world where I can't be honest. Everywhere else in my world, I can be who I am. I, I can be who I am with my friends, at, at my school, in my sports teams. The church is the only place I feel like I have to perform or put on a mask. And as the pastor shared that story with my wife and I, tears filled his eyes. and He said, that's not how it's supposed to be. And friends, I just want to say absolutely clearly, so that's, we're going to shatter that stereotype. This is going to be a church that absolutely goes after the real issues. We're going to create safety. We're going to create a, an environment of love so that we can honestly address issues that are hurting folks and, and creating bondage and, and, and shame. So we're going to start with Jesus. Uh, if you know this Hot Topic series, we're going to tackle all sorts of crazy issues. They're very real. They're very pressing. And we're going to bring Jesus right into the heart of this. So we're going to start with Jesus. And I simply want to begin with one of the most fundamental truths that we could ever go after. But it's really important for us to get our arms around it. And it's just this. And you might want to write this down. This is going to shock you. It's just this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Like, that's it. Jesus loves That's the, the starting premise for this whole thing. Jesus loves you. You might want to write a personal, Jesus loves me. Uh, you might want to sing a little ditty. Uh, but here's the deal. Jesus loves you. Like, you've you got to own that. You've got to get your mind around that. You've got to take that home, put it on a card, put it on your dashboard, or, or tattoo it on your head uh, backwards so that when you look at it in the mirror, you can read it. Like, uh, you know, shave it in the side of your dog, whatever it takes, but don't miss that truth that Jesus loves you. In fact, he says that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. I don't typically go to the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible is, is the scriptures, but it just kind of draws it out and really tries to, you know, uh, bring more words around it so that it is even more clear. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says this in the Amplified Bible. I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you, assuredly not. 
Friends, God loves us with an everlasting love. We learn in the scripture that God's love is called agape. That's a Greek word, agape. And it simply means unconditional love. That's the kind of love God has for us, agape, unconditional love. Now, we learn that intellectually oftentimes, and then the moment we learn it, we begin to disqualify ourselves thinking that God could only love us if we perform a certain way, act a certain way, live a certain way, etc. We We are the ones who build the conditions on God's love when God himself has said, I love you with an everlasting love. And so today, as we approach this issue and all the issues in the Hot Topics series, we're gonna come at it honestly, authentically, with a genuine desire to bring Jesus right into the heart of these issues and topics. But, friends, we're not going to be uh, shame-inducing. We're not gonna be guilt-slinging. We're not gonna uh, have you come and then be burdened again. Uh, what we wanna do is remove burdens in the context of our conversations over the next several weeks. Today, pornography. So let me shift the discussion to porn. Last week in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article called, Is Sex Addiction a Sickness? This month's Atlantic Magazine, on its cover, has an article called, Is Porn Adultery? Christianity Today has come up with a, uh, just recently, the stranglehold of porn, and uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll is writing a book called Porn Again Christian. So... This is a very culturally relevant topic. It's very hot right now in our culture. It's an issue that's pressing in. Statistics you've heard, estimates 40 million homes in America impacted by pornography this week. 70% of men's aged 13 through 34 surveyed view porn once a month. Over half of all marriages in America are impacted by pornography. Uh, here's interesting, one in three online viewers of porn are now women. That's a rising tide. 50% of Christian men have viewed porn in the last year. Now, if these statistics are at all to be believed, if they're anywhere near truth, then most of the men in this room and many of the women have had some level of experience with pornography in their lives, a majority within the last year, many within the last month. Many of your marriages are experiencing distance and alienation because of pornography. Some of you looked at porn last night, and chances are good that a few folks in all three of our services today have viewed pornography today. The quote from a guy named Ross Duthat from The Atlantic magazine says, nothing in the long history of erotica compares with the way millions of Americans experience porn today and our moral intuitions are struggling to catch up. Friends, this is a real issue. And I'm not trying to bring shame. I'm not trying to load you down with guilt. I just want to address the issue with honesty. And so, at the risk of potentially making everyone in the room feel slightly more uncomfortable, I'd like to share a little bit of my story. And I want you to know that I'm going to be sharing my full testimony on October 21st in our Celebrate Recovery uh, meeting on Tuesday night, the 21st, and I'd love to invite you to come and, and uh, participate with us on that night. But just, just a small portion so you'll understand my journey and my empathy with this issue. 
My first exposure to pornography was with a magazine that some neighborhood boys showed me when I was five years old. So it was a five-year-old boy. Now, I have a son who is six. I have a daughter who is eight. I was five. In my neighborhood where I grew up, it seemed like there was porn in sort of all of the houses around me. A couple of doors down, a friend's dad had every Playboy magazine ever published. And so I ended up cutting my puberty chops looking at those magazines. And you don't need me to go into any more detail than that, but suffice to say that lust and pornography have been a part of the story of my life. And one of the proliferation tools of pornography has been the internet, which most guys that I talk to describe as a Wall Street Journal on one side and a penthouse magazine on the other. This is a, a, a real issue, and the temptation is real for so many in this room right now. And I just want to share this story with you so you see how just right in the face it is. Last weekend, I was in Portland with my family. We were down there for the Portland Marathon, and uh, my wife, my kids, uh, on Saturday night had uh, up, gone up in the hotel room, and I had got them all situated up there, and then I needed something, so, so I left. I went down to the hotel countertop. I said, hey, where's the store? I need this. They said, oh, a couple blocks over. So I went a couple blocks over, found the mini mart, went in, grabbed what I needed, was on my way to the checkout counter when I noticed this incredibly large display of pornography. Dozens of magazines and DVDs and the whole bit. And the instant that I saw that display, the thought hits my mind. Oh, you're in Portland. Nobody knows you here. Which I know is a lie because you people are everywhere, okay? <laughs> so, but that was the, that was the first thought. Just in a nanosecond was, well, it, no, you're anonymous here. Nobody knows you in Portland. And then the very next thought, you know, Jody's upstairs with the kids she, she can't leave. She's up there. You can grab this, you, you know, a magazine. You can take it. You can look at it. You could throw it away. She'd never know. Just all in a nanosecond, friends. It's called temptation. And instead, I whispered the word Jesus. Jesus. And I just, I went and I checked out and, and went back to the hotel room. But I share that story only so you'll recognize that it's, it's real. And it's pressing. And it's not like you have to, you know, go out looking anymore. Like, it's, it's right there in front of you. And, and I want you to understand, this is a real issue. Temptation is real with the men, a growing number of women in our church, and certainly in our culture. And when you take a look at this issue of pornography, I was speaking with a man who's in recovery on this issue, and he, he told me just an interesting visual. He said, addressing the issue of pornography is like talking about what's on a television screen and thinking that you're talking about how a, 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 the actual TV is made. See, the, the pornography is just the latest channel that's on. You have to go and recognize that there's something broken in the actual machinery, and that's what causes this brokenness of pornography to be so prolific. Pornography is caused by a brokenness, and then it causes its own brokenness. Uh, I found a quote this week from a guy named Keith Miller in a book, Hunger for Healing. He writes, at an existential everyday level of thinking, sin is thought to refer to bad things one does, such as theft, adultery, murder, gossiping, judging, and so forth. But as William Temple pointed out, these things are only symptoms of a deeper disease. He says there's only one sin with a capital S, 
And that is putting ourselves in the center of our lives and other people's lives where only God should be. And so uh, the other sins are with a small s, and they're the result of what placing ourselves on the throne of our lives produces. That's the big sin. The idea is that God needs to be on that throne. And so the magazine, The Atlantic, asked the question, is porn adultery? And we want to go after what does Jesus have to say about it? So it turns out Jesus actually does have a viewpoint. It's pretty clear. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and following, Jesus says this. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who looks, who even looks at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's pause there for a moment. What's he saying? He's saying that we are to be men and women who do not commit adultery. This is God's heart for us. He knows adultery produces pain. It produces bitterness, divorce. It it wounds uh, everyone that it touches. And so we're to keep ourselves free from adultery. And so that's the commandment. But what Jesus is saying, it's more than just a, a physical thing. He's saying there's a, there's a way to, to have mental adultery going on. And instead of just thinking in the terms of the physical, we got to be thinking in terms of our minds and our hearts as well. And so what he's going after is the kind of fidelity that extends to our thought life. He's going after the monogamy that, that takes place in our minds and our hearts as well as with our bodies. That's what he's going after. He's saying, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart because that's the same. You've already committed adultery then, even if you haven't touched her, right? He continues. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, what's he saying? Is Jesus speaking literally in this moment? I mean, should we call for response afterwards and say, come on forward, we have a chainsaw set up in the back council room and we'll just go, you know. I mean, like we'd be a whole group of like, you know, blind stumps. Is, is Is that what Jesus is going after? And the reality is, and friends, I don't want you to miss this. He's saying, go as radical with this as you have to. Go as drastic with your, your life. Go as drastic after purity as it takes because this is a real deal. This is a, a big issue. It's a heart issue. And Jesus wants our hearts to be protected, our hearts to be kept clean. He doesn't want us to wound ourselves or to wound others in this issue. And so I would just say, today, now is the moment for us to go radical after this. Today, this is the moment for us to decide, okay, Jesus, we're going to take this command seriously, and we're going to go after that kind of mental monogamy, all right? And, and so today is the day to take an action step. The issue of pornography might be relatively new. However, the issue of lust is ancient and sinful, and it always harms. And that's why in Proverbs 6, Verse 25, we read, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. And so that's what we're going to go after. We're going we're to go after fulfilling that. And how do we do that? Well, it begins with the, with the Bible word. It begins with the word repent. 
And this Bible word, repent, simply means that we would change direction, that we would turn around and that we would change our minds, that we would change our, our choices and our behaviors. We would literally repent. And so for some of us in this room, the repent, it's gonna be different, what we need to repent of, what we need, how we need to repent. But basically, if you've just been blowing this off, it doesn't affect me, I don't, I don't need to pray about it, I don't need to care about it, I don't need to have conversations with folks, then you need to repent for just being so casual about this issue. And, and just being kind of flippant and like, oh, it doesn't touch me, so I don't need to talk about it. Uh, maybe for you, the issue is you've been letting uh, pornography and lust kind of infiltrate your life. And you've gone after that. And, and so for you, you just need to make a decision today, no longer. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to repent before the Lord and change. And I want to give you some practical steps on how you can actually repent, how you can change your mind, your choices, and your behaviors. If you're filling in the blanks, the first thing I would challenge you to do is build your boundaries. Build your boundaries right now. It's always better to build your boundaries in completely sober moments like this one. Asking the Lord to guide you, asking the Lord, God, how do you want me to build the boundaries in my life so that I can go after purity in the life that you're calling me to? But you need to do it now. Don't wait until temptation comes. Don't, don't wait until you're isolated and suddenly you're very tempted. Build the boundaries now. Job, uh, in chapter 31, verse 1, says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make a covenant with our eyes, with our thought life. We're building the boundaries in our lives. So the first thing that I would encourage you to do, and this, I'm going absolutely basic, friends. I'm not gonna be crass at all, but I'm gonna speak very frankly with you. The first thing I would challenge everyone to do is simply build the structure in your life that there is no pornography that you're gonna accept in your life. So you just decide, I'm gonna structure my life so that there's no pornography Avail. I don't want to damage myself. I don't want to damage my relationships. And I want, to be, I want to be walking with the Lord, so no, no porn. Now, here's what that means. If you've got a stash of magazines at home, uh, torch them. If you've got a hard drive that's filled, just, just junk it, right? Like, just say, you know what, from, starting now, no more porn. Like, you just, you just make that decision. Closely associated with that is you build the structure in your life and you decide uh, there's not gonna be masturbation that's a part of my life practice as well. You just build that in. And the reason why, I said, Mike, why are you going after that? Because of its close association with lust. Again, the idea is we're going after lust, we're trying to cut it out, we're being as radical as possible to remove that from our lives. And so when I say no porn and when I say uh, cut out, you know, masturbation, I also mean be proactive and think, cut out anything that even flirts with walking in that direction. So for some guys, it's just like flipping channels late at night. Whole family's in bed, you're just flipping channels. You can run through 120 channels in two seconds and find the nanoseconds of flesh that are on, you know, 40 different channels. Don't do it. It, it just flirts with you. It takes you that direction. Uh, if you, you know, your wife, Victoria's Secret, uh, you know, catalog that she gets. She comes in, you say, you know, hey, babe, I, listen, I really want to encourage you to purchase out of that catalog, uh, but uh, uh, after you do so, would you please throw the magazine away? I don't want that lying around the house. I don't want anything that's going to take me in that direction. I've talked to some guys who have literally 
thrown their computer away. They just decide, I'm just gonna make, I'm just gonna figure out how to do life without a computer. Or I've known guys who don't want the internet on their phone. They just choose to opt out of that. Oh, it's so convenient. It is convenient. It's also a problem. It's a portal. You don't want to go through it sometimes. And so you just say, hey, I'm just going to cut that out, whatever it takes. We saw the video earlier about the triplexchurch.com. That's an accountability software. I would encourage just everyone to get that on. You say, well, I don't have a problem with porn. Then why do you have a problem putting an accountability software on? That shouldn't be an issue. So the idea is triplexchurch.com. There's another program called Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is the, the accountability software that I use. And what Covenant Eyes does is it gives your accountability partners a listing of every single website that, has, that you visited or that the computer has visited, and then it rates them, kind of gives them a little numerical rating on how racy they are. So the higher the number, the higher the rating kind of a deal, and so, uh, and the raciest ones are at the top, so it's pretty easy to read the report and all that. And I have that on my home computers, and obviously the church has filtering here, and, and you might say, well, Mike, wait a sec, are you saying that you have accountability software on your computers so that you don't look at porn? Yes, yes I am, that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't wanna look at porn, I don't want porn to be a part of my life, I don't wanna walk that road, and, and so, and do you know who my accountability partner is? My wife, my wife Jody gets the report. That dampens that temptation right up, you know, like, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and I just wanna say this just honestly and authentically, I am so thankful that my wife has chosen to be an ally for me that she has chosen to be just a support and an encouragement and a warrior with me as we fight to build a home where pornography is not a part of the story that my kids are gonna walk, okay? So again, you just go after these things. You build the boundaries that you need to build so that you can live the life that God's calling you to live. The second thing I would encourage you to do is talk to somebody, talk to somebody that you would recognize you don't have to walk this road alone, that you would bring an ally into your life. And that's why we structure our life groups the way we structure them. That's why every single ministry uh, that we go after here at Overlake Christian Church is done in teams. The idea is we do relational ministry together so that you can build allies in your life. So talk to somebody. Grab an accountability partner for prayer. And when I talk about accountability partners, if you, if you have some guys in your life that you meet and you pray together, and, and you're wanting to make accountability work. There are just a few things that seem to work real well in accountability uh, relationships, and you might want to jot these down. The first is that you'd go after full disclosure. So if you're in accountability partnership, they're only as good as your honesty. So you just commit to full disclosure with one another. Commitment to purity. You pray together for encouragement for one another and protection. And then you offer one another the right to call 24-7 for unannounced check-ins. So you just give full access of your life to this brother that you have established. And if you're, if you're a woman walking through this, you grab a sister. And you go after that 100% accountability. And if you're having a tough time finding that person or you'd like to take a, you know, maybe an additional step, I would encourage you to find a counselor. 
you can contact Pastor Larry here at the church. He does a great job of developing a core of lay counselors that work. The, this is a ministry, so it's, this is free to you. It's not a, uh, it's not a financial cost. You can ask him, though, also for referrals in the community, and he would be happy to refer you to people that he's worked with over the years. Uh, for myself, I know of at least four guys that have been profoundly helpful, and so I'd give you their names, and again, you can jot these down if you should choose. Uh, uh, in our church, there's a man named Gary Snyder, and he's a great counselor. Uh, Scott Lee is in Totem Lake, excellent. Uh, Doug Shirley is up in Bothell, excellent. Uh, a guy named Jay Parker is here local as well. But you need to develop an ally in this fight. This is not a fight that you and I, that we can trust to do well by ourselves. You could probably trust to finish the race by yourself, but you, you won't do as well. And there'll be a lot of stumbles and there'll be a lot of heartache along the way. Uh, just a, a quick analogy. I, I shared with you that last week I ran a marathon. And it was down in Portland last weekend. My running partner, my buddy in this marathon, uh, is a friend of mine named Jay Stookie. Rhymes with Wookie. I call him the Stook. Here, so the Stook and I are running this race. Uh, he's actually my kid's PE teacher, just a really cool guy. So Jay and I, the gun goes off, we start running. And we actually hadn't run together before, so this is the first time that we're running together. So we're kind of figuring each other, uh, the strides out and the whole bit, the pacing, and and we run the first couple of miles together, and I start realizing we've got an eight-minute mile pace going. Now, that is faster than I have ever run before. Like, I'm, I'm going, wow, this is crazy. And the same thing with him. So we're running eight. Now, for some of you, that's like really slow, and I totally get that. But for us, that was a big deal. So we're running eight-minute mile pace, and we run two miles. Then we run three, we're, and they shout out your time. So I'm doing the math. We're still at an eight-minute mile pace. Friends, we ran 21 miles at an eight-minute mile pace. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, wow, this is great, you know. I'm like, you okay? You doing all right? He's like, yeah, I'm doing fine. You doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing fine. We're just huffing it out. You know, wow, this is great. I love you, Jay. You know, like, I mean, it was, it was crazy. So anyway, about mile 21, Jay needs to stop. He's got to take a break. And so he says, hey, listen, I, I, I'm going to stop, but you keep going. You finish. You're going after your personal best, so go for it. So I'm like, okay, I will. So 21 miles I run with my buddy. We're averaging eight-minute miles. The moment he drops out, I have to run the last five miles. My pace goes from an eight-minute mile pace. It drops to a nine-and-a-half-minute mile pace. Instantly, my pace just went... <laughs> and what happened? I mean, it's not like the whole way he's saying, go faster, go faster, you can do it, you can keep running, go faster. I mean, it's not like he's just shouting at me the whole time, berating me, shaming me. Friends, he was just running with me. Do you get the power there? Just the power of running together elevates us and lifts us and allows us to go harder after the things that we commit ourselves to going after. Just the power of presence in your life will help you get victory over this issue. And so you gotta build your boundaries. You have to talk to somebody and get prayer. Get a buddy, get a partner, get a counselor, but get someone in your life so that you can get a victory over this issue. And then the last thing, I just wanna point you programmatically, you need to pursue health with support, with the appropriate support. And when we talk about going after health, 
It's really James chapter 5, verse 16, which tells us that we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. We want to go after healing. We want, we want to bring the healing of Christ right down in the middle of this broken sexuality, knowing that this world is broken and, and there's brokenness all over the place. And we want Jesus and the healing that he brings to be right there. And so that's why we go after, like the program that we started a year ago at Overlay Christian Church is called Celebrate Recovery. And I would just encourage you, all of you, even if this is the first time you're hearing about it, you don't think you'll ever go, would you just pray for it? It's, just, it's a powerful ministry that brings healing because it brings support and it allows us to pursue life as a family together and for folks to receive the support they need on the journey. Again, this quote uh, from a, a guy named Keith Miller in Hunger for Healing says, in the experience of their own powerlessness, admitting the bankruptcy of their self-centeredness and the insanity of their self-destructive addictive behavior these spiritually crippled men and women turn to God and each other as their only hope. As they give up on their own power and their own agendas and turn their lives and wills over to God, they rediscovered some amazing secrets that many parts of the church had lost along the way. They developed a hunger for healing and a hunger for God. In becoming weller than well, many of these men and women have found healing in their primary relationships, the peace of surrender, the humility and self-acceptance that follow, confession and making amends, and the joy and sense of purpose in doing God's will and sharing the hope and healing they are finding. So I would encourage you, think about Celebrate Recovery, pray for it, and if it's right for you, and it's something that will be an asset for you and your journey, then would you join us on Tuesday nights, meet in the chapel. It's an incredible family building an incredibly safe environment for people to journey together towards wholeness and healing. See, what's interesting to me is a lot of times Christians take the circle the wagons approach and they just, they kind of huddle up and, and they sing kumbaya and they talk about how crazy the world is and how evil the world is and how damaging and, and nutty the world is out there. And Friends, Jesus has always said, no, 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 the problem isn't out there. The problem's right here. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 7. These are the words of Jesus saying, it's from within. Out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It is a fallen world, friends, and that includes us. We've got appetites and desires that God has given us in his love. These are holy and awesome desires and appetites, but because we live in a fallen world and we carry that brokenness within us, our appetites have gone crazy. They've gone haywire. And so that's why we can talk about this issue without anybody just leveling shame. Because we just recognize it's a part of being human. The brokenness, it, it, it's everywhere. C.S. Lewis, in a book called Mere Christianity, does a great job. He's got a chapter on sexual morality. It's awesome. And he says, if I were to take you to a country where they would gather a group of people and they would all be watching the stage and then uh, bit by bit they would bring out uh, maybe different images or different objects. And maybe they would bring out, you know, kind of behind one curtain, they would bring out a, a hamburger. 
Uh, and then the next curtain you see, there would be like a steak. They would just bring out a steak. Maybe the third, they would just reveal it was a big, you know, big old slab of beef or something. And uh, we call that hardcore, hardcore, uh, you know, whatever. And so he says, if you were in that kind of a situation, you would instantly deduce a couple of things. Number one, you would think, maybe the people in that country are starving to death, right? Maybe that's why that would be attractive for them to gather and just look at images is because maybe they're just starving to death. So a really good way to see if that's true, just pull the people. How many times are you eating? How, you know, how many times are you able to, to feel uh, you know, your belly full and satisfied? And you might find out that in that country, it's the most well-fed country you've ever seen. So then you'd have to come up with another deduction, right? Another conclusion. And it's the conclusion that the appetite which was God-given and was absolutely holy and appropriate, has now gone, it's just gone a little nuts. And isn't that what we see in this issue of sexuality? That it's been given by God and it's for such good purpose and there's, there's all sorts of, there's holiness in sexuality. But, it, but because we're broken and because we live in a fallen world, you know, these appetites have gone, they've gone haywire. And I refuse to accept that that's just the way it is or that that's how it's going to be forever. I want to read you a quote from a guy named Dan Savage. He's a Seattle-based columnist, frequently writes on sex, sexuality. And I just want to tell you before you hear these words that I'm going to disagree with them sharply. But I want you to hear them. He says, all men look at porn. The handful of men who claim they don't look at porn are liars or castrates. Tearful discussion about your insecurities or your feminist principles will not stop a man from looking at porn. That's why the best advice for straight women is this, get over it. While men shouldn't rub their female no partner's noses in the fact that they look at porn, that's just inconsiderate. Telling women that the porn problem, in quotes, can be resolved through good communication, couples counseling, or a chat with your pastor is neither helpful nor realistic. I couldn't disagree with his savage diagnosis nor his conclusions more. Uh, basically what he's saying is that this is an itch and the dog must scratch. Men have no more control over this base appetite than they do controlling their need for food or sleep. I fundamentally disagree. The Bible categorically disagrees and Jesus certainly disagrees because Jesus is the one who brings life and freedom. The only way the porn problem can be solved is to honestly and sincerely bring it to the real Lord and Savior who really loves you, who really died on the cross to set you free, who really brings power in our weakness and who really calls us more than conquerors. That's the way we experience freedom and victory. I want you to look at these verses from just one chapter in the book of Romans. Romans 8:12 says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You might want to circle the words no obligation. Romans 8, 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Circle the words not controlled. Romans 8, 2 says, because you belong to him, Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Just circle the words has freed you. Romans 8.1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8.13, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death 
the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. So you just put them to death. You crucify them on the cross. You put them to death. The deeds of the sinful nature. And then you live by the power that God brings to you, the power of his spirit in your life. And you say, well, Mike, what do I do if those desires rear up again and those sinful deeds start tempting me again and there's just, you know, they, you put them to death again. You just go after it again. You put them to death again. And you say, but Mike, there they are again. They've raised their, it's like a bad zombie movie, you know, must have porn. It, so you do it again, and you do it again, and, and maybe for a while, every single morning you get up and you read through Ephesians chapter six, and you put on the full armor of God, all of the armor that God provides you spiritually so that you can withstand temptation, and that you, you can walk in a right mind, and, and sober decision making, and, and you can bring brothers and sisters along, and you can have the faith and the strength and the courage that you need to live victoriously just one day. And you do it the next day and the next day and the next day. Maybe that's your journey. But the deal is Jesus comes into our lives and he changes things. He changes things. He brings life and freedom. And, and I've said before, the root of this drive towards pornography is brokenness. Porn itself creates its own brokenness. And I've asked a, a friend of mine, Don, to come and to share a bit of his story with us today. So would you please... Give a, uh, just a warm welcome to Don as he shares with us. My involvement with pornography started in my preteens and continued on through my college years. First with pictures I'd find, then in the form of reading any fiction that included sex stories. I could quickly find these stories in the pages of paperbacks and the grocery stores or spy novels at the library. I found I'd get a feeling which I'm told is the same as a drug hit, affecting the same chemical dopamine reaction as a good workout or an exciting time with a group of friends. In the context of a nothing-asked, nothing-said household with no female friends, I developed a very immature and inaccurate understanding of appropriate relationships with women. I'd learned the unhealthy habit of seeing women as sex objects, of not relating to them honestly and openly, and of keeping a secret well hid. My marriage 35 and a half years ago interrupted the chemical hormone urge, but my secret life and liking for that porn hit was established and just out of sight, in remission, so to speak. I was too ashamed of myself in terms of the real me versus the Christian me, and too afraid of my secret being known to buy porn magazines or movies. And I was really praying that Jesus would just turn off my thrill-seeking nature, which is actually a gift from him. Even if I would avoid porn, I found I was increasingly able to draw on my memories and even imagination for those hits. I found I was powerless to avoid the recall, which drove me into myself and further away from sharing openly with Sandy. In the early 80s, we moved into a house with cable TV, so I had access to view porn late at night by playing with a cable box to get a few seconds of whatever movie was on the block channels. Our life had already become complicated when our second child arrived pretty disabled, Sandy seemed able to deal with everything at home, so I felt enabled to work long hours, hiding out at work, which was the pattern my dad taught me. The conflict of Sandy covering the, long, the home base for long days, unaided by me, was a big stress between us, and I reacted to that by becoming the same as an alcoholic binge drinker. 
I was able to be present with my wife and kids in the family process, but very anxious and unable to stop my thoughts and fantasy when I was alone. In the 90s, the internet made porn available at home in about every 90 days, when I'd get frustrated with the buildup of life. I'd stay up late and or go to work late, spending time at the computer, increasingly frustrated with my inability to break out of the habits. While I've grown older and physically don't need the hits as much, my mind was essentially bent away from what I professed as my priorities. It's logical that if the norm is covert behavior inside a relationship, the lack of intimacy that creates has to distort the behaviors and reactions and definition of normal that your kids grow up with. No matter how hard I would work to appear to be good when I was with them, I kept my secret, which kept me from relating openly with them. An unstopped porn habit, in my opinion, creates an intimacy disorder that is incredibly complicated and leaves both people in the marriage disconnected. Again, I want to tell you that replacing reality with virtual porn sex damages everyone involved, even if they don't know they're involved. I also think this is what the verse in 1 Corinthians 6 means, that we damage ourselves when we sin sexually. I was so tied up inside myself that I had and still have great difficulty with identifying feelings, knowing myself, having good boundaries, and being able to honestly represent myself. I believe that God is alive, holy, and faithful to himself as well as to us. So real truth has to come out no matter what. I was discovered in my viewing by two of the most important people in my life, my son, and 90 days later, my wife. Those discoveries were what I needed to bottom out and seriously address my habit. I found a no-nonsense therapist who's a 16-year-plus sober recovered porn addict. I meet with him every two weeks. I've been in a 12-step recovery program for almost two years, going to at least three recovery meetings a week, plus a weekly men's group with mandatory total honesty and transparency. Miraculously, I was connected to a great sponsor from here, my own church. Most importantly, it's been three years last month since I viewed porn. All of this is absolutely painful and wonderful. The hardest part of becoming a renewed or recovered person is that I'm changing the habitual definitions of who I am and who my wife married. But living with no more secrets is worth all the pain and hassle. Fortunately, recovery is a spiritual process, and God is honored by the truth. So true sobriety from lifelong habits is possible. Once I realized that my desire to change, just my desire, was all that God needed, and that I was dedicated to the behavior change, then authentic change could happen. I've always wanted authenticity, to be able to know and express my own feelings based on, what, on the value that God gives me, but I never really trusted God enough to agree with him on who I am. He gives me far higher value than I ever gave myself. If I can be renewed, you can too, if you want to be. Thank you.
I love the line that Don shared. He, he said, did you note it? Changing the habitual definitions of who I am. That's what I believe the Bible talks about when it says in Christ we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Changing the definitions that we hold of who we are to one that is Christ-centered, God-honoring, and liberated from the bondage of sin. Uh, one of the books that I've been reading in preparation for this message, it's called uh, Out of the Shadows, Understanding Sexual Addiction by Patrick Carnes. He identifies some fundamental beliefs that isolate and fuel sexual addiction. It is interesting to note that these are not solely for sexual addiction, and so uh, some, of the same, uh, some of the same core beliefs would fuel, say, the behavior of an alcoholic or a drug addict or uh, any of the other compulsive addictive behaviors that are embraced uh, by a broken humanity. All of it stems from some dysfunctional core beliefs. Here they are. Core belief number one, I'm basically a bad, unworthy person. Core belief number two, no one would love me as I am if they really knew me. Number three, my needs are never going to be met if I have to depend upon others. And number four, sex is my most important need. In other words, there we see it's elevated. It's, it's the highest value. Christ comes in, he invades. A new creation is born. The old is gone, the new has come. Now the hard work of, again, how Don said it, defining the habitual definitions of who we are. So here we go, going after the core beliefs. New belief, number one, I'm made in the image of God and he is making me whole for his glory. That's core belief number one. Number two, I'm loved and accepted by God and by those who know me as I am, warts and all, okay? Loved and accepted by God and by those who know me. Number three, my needs can and will be met by God and by those I allow to know my needs. Again, driving us towards authentic life together. And number four, sex is but one expression of my need and care for another. In other words, bringing it back down then to that level where our appetite is now, again, whole and holy and God-honoring. Lastly, I want to say that Jesus wants to bring healing not only to those who are struggling with pornography, but to those who have been wounded by spouses or partners or parents who are there's help and healing for you as well. Listen, the isolation that you feel is just as damaging. The pain that you feel, the temptation that, that you might have to judge or to despise, these are very natural reactions, but the enemy will use them to continue to wound and to continue the cycle of non-intimacy, of dysfunction, of sin. I just wanna say that Jesus calls to you as well. He calls to you and he, he wants to say to you this morning, I love you, I love you, I love you. You've heard me mention Celebrate Recovery a couple of times. It really is a phenomenal family devoted toward walking in wholeness together under Pastor Drew's leadership. And I just wanna say that maybe today what you need to write down is just a little phrase. Recovery is synonymous with sanctification. It just means that honestly, we're walking steps of vulnerability to become more and more like Jesus. So whether you have personally experienced the wounds of pornography in your own life or whether you've been wounded and alienated by your spouse or another, I would invite all of you to come on Tuesdays. 
that you would receive the support that you need to joyfully walk toward wholeness together. The hope I leave you with is Psalm 91, 9, that says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. As I close, I I do want to tell you that I have really struggled this week in my preparation for this message, in my study, simply feeling a, a sense of spiritual heaviness. And I've talked about it with my accountability partner. I've talked about it with my wife, Jody. And I think it's, if I could put a word to it, it's like a residual shame that I'm dealing with. Now, I have honestly feared that sharing a portion of my story would cause you to despise me in your heart or, or to judge me. And I know that in the last 14 years of my life with Jody, that I have wounded her. And so for those things, those times, I, I have humbly and honestly repented before my wife Jody, before Jesus. I'm living a clean life. But still, there's this, this cloud that has been hanging over me in my preparation this week. And, and as I process with a couple of others, some pastoral input in my life, uh, I'm recognizing that that is most probably the enemy of God. Who knows how powerful God can work in these moments that we have together today. He knows how Jesus is calling all of us to that same pursuit of vulnerability and wholeness and him. And maybe the single reason why the enemy did not want me to share this morning is because today is the day that you become free. Maybe today is the day that you repent and you ask forgiveness from Jesus and from your spouse. Maybe today is the day that you decide to get the support that you need to have victory over this issue. Maybe today is the day that you forgive your spouse and become an ally in their fight. I I wanna close this message by just encouraging every one of you to breathe deeply. Would you do this with me? It's a little weird, just breathe. In a few moments, we're gonna invite you to the table of the Lord, It's, it's communion. And it's an opportunity for every single one of us to come and to remember the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us, the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And as you come to the table today, what I want you to do is to breathe in, not simply the fresh air, breathe in the new grace that the love of Jesus provides for you. Breathe it in, would you be honest in these moments that we have together, be authentic and real, be vulnerable, take a risk, friends. But don't carry out of here what you potentially carried in. Leave it at the table. Recognize that it is by his stripes that we're healed. Never forget how good it is to be forgiven and to be cleansed, to have no secrets in your life, to be whole. Remember that Jesus is the one who says that he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Let's pray together. And Jesus, we really do pray that your truth would be what is owning our thoughts right now. Your love would be what is crafting how we're processing this challenge. And Jesus, we ask that you would take our brokenness in this moment, 
We ask that you would take the brokenness of this world and this culture, the brokenness inside of each one of us, we bring it to you, and we ask that you would cover it with your cleansing and your forgiveness. We ask that you would heal right now our relationship with you, that we would have an open and honest relationship with you, and that within our friendships there would be honesty, within our marriages there would be genuineness and mutuality and love and we ask today Jesus for victory your victory inside each one of us that we might take bold and radical steps that you call us on so that we might live free free in the freedom that you've purchased for us in the cross of Calvary we love you and we pray all these things in your name Jesus Christ amen yeah.